Hi, welcome to Unleash Ministries podcast, where Pastor Nathan Sanford will guide us through daily Bible studies, prophetic revelations, and life-changing encounters with the Father's love. Join us for near daily content as we dive into the Word of God. Hey guys, welcome back to uh, for our journey through First Peter here. Um, this is a uh, uh, another passage that is kind of difficult. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's as controversial or as like maybe talked about or as discussed or as debated, I guess, as maybe some of the previous scriptures that we went over. But it's kind of hard, like nonetheless. And it, honestly, there are like five different viewpoints for different uh, parts of it. So I guess what I wanted to do was just kind of jump into it and show you why that is. So, um, Again, First Peter four, he and starting in verse three, he's this part is I think pretty easy to understand. Um, but then after that, it's like, okay, you know, so <laughs> we'll just kind of jump right into it. And always, always, always remember that, of course, these people are under severe persecution or are about to be under severe persecution. And um, anyways, so here, here's what he says. First uh, Peter four verse three, he says. For the time all I'm sorry for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. <laughs> I think that's so funny. He's like, okay, the time like you guys have had plenty of time to sin. Like it's just kind of a funny way of saying it. He's like, you guys have had plenty of time to sin. He's like, because um, the next line he says, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing drinking parties and abominable idolatries <laughs> he's like look you guys have had plenty of time to act like idiots um this is not that time like you you you've had time to act like this and it is not time to act like this is basically what he's saying so a lot of these people um whether they're jews or gentiles are now he's basically saying look the time has already come like you've already had time to kind of do these things. And I almost felt like this verse as I was reading it, it's kind of like kind of spoke to me now. It kind of spoke to this generation right now. And by that, I mean like this generation, it seems at least this is the impression I have on my heart. And this is kind of the prophetic feeling that I have and have had for quite some time is that the baby boomer generation, they really had time to like, they could waste 20 years, 30 years, um, and then get saved, you know, like later on. And it, it, and it was fine. Like they could live these lives that weren't awesome or were horrible. And they could get saved because they like had the time. And even us Gen Xers, if you're a Gen Xer, I don't, depending on what, which demographer you're talking about, like puts the numbers in different places, depending on how old you are. But let's just say um, Gen Xers are like 40 to 60 or 55 or something. Let's just say that, just throwing that out there. Um, we, we also kind of had time. You could just screw around, not really get serious with God. I'm not saying you should, but it seems like there was time like that. But I'm telling you, I just felt this so strongly. Even the last youth, young adult meeting we had, I felt the Lord just came on me so strongly. And it was like, he hit me with this thing that these millennials and Gen Zers and alphas or whatever the heck you want to call them, like our young people right now, they just don't have the time to like spend 30 years wasting um, for what God is doing in this hour, what is coming, the power that's coming, the glory that's coming, the tremendous outpouring of persecution that probably also will come. 
Um, it's like they don't have time for this. And it's, it's kind of what Peter's saying here. He's like, look, you guys already had time to act like idiots and do this stupid nonsense. And he's like, and all this, verse 4, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. If you, if you wonder what dissipation is, that's um, a lot of people don't recognize that word. And Scripture uses the word like it says, um, do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be drunk in the spirit. And again, right here, uh, Peter says this, like, um, and all this, they're surprised that you don't run with them. All that is just to say, like, these people that are your friends that maybe you used to run around with, like, they think you're crazy, that you're now living this totally separate life in love with God, walking in purity, walking in holiness, walking in such a way as to reflect um, the values of the kingdom. They think that you're completely nuts. Like, they're surprised that you're not doing that. That's what he's saying into the same excesses of dissipation. So let's just talk about this briefly, because, by the way, being in the South here, um, it's kind of like there, there's, a, there's a lot of Baptists down here. So there's a lot of Southern Baptists. And if you don't know this, they, like, hate alcohol. Like, any form of alcohol at all is, like, super evil. And so anyone who drinks anything at any time, like, this is, like, a huge, huge sin. And, um, of course I take issue with that. Just, um, by the way, I don't drink. Um, if you know me or don't know me, I don't drink ever any kind of alcohol whatsoever. Um, that's my own personal choice. And actually I'll just briefly tell you kind of how I came to that. Um, it's really from my dad, um, to be honest, like my dad, he, I remember him telling me a story, like when we moved to Idaho and I was really little and dad used to have small group meetings out of his house when he first planted Cornerstone, his little church in North Idaho. So we had these little small groups because of course in the eighties, like that was a big deal. Um, doing small groups was like the thing. So anyway, um, dad, dad, I guess, I don't remember this cause I was pretty little, but when I guess dad used to keep like a six pack of beer or whatever, just kind of sitting in the fridge. Uh, I guess this was normal practice or somewhat normal for him. Uh, this, at least this is what he told me. I, I'm not sure. I don't, again, I don't ever remember my dad drinking, but uh, this was the thing. And he told me that I guess one time a guy that was an alcoholic from um, his meeting that he was having from his little small group, I guess he went to get something out of the fridge and he opened the fridge and saw the six pack of beer in there. And I guess from that, he kind of used it as, as an excuse to go on like a three week bender where he just got hammered and, you know, kind of jumped back into alcoholism. Now, of course, my dad knows he's not responsible for that guy's sin. Like that was his choice to sin. It was his choice to, to drink in excess. Um, but he did say that he doesn't ever want to be anybody's excuse to, to sin, you know, essentially. So my dad said from that moment on, he felt like I'll never have alcohol again, simply because as a leader, I don't want people thinking, um, this is what my dad told me. I don't want people thinking that, well, if my it's okay if my pastor drinks, so it's fine if I do. When in fact, if you're an alcoholic, it's not okay if you do. In fact, if you're an alcoholic, it's not okay that you ever drink uh, because of that particular issue in your in your body or in your heart and your spirit, whatever your struggle happens to be. So um, for that reason, it's the same with me. Like I don't drink uh, ever. I haven't had any alcohol whatsoever in probably 25 years. And I have no desire to do so, but uh, that's part of my reason is that I, my same thing as my dad, I don't want anyone who looks up to me, who sees me as their pastor. If they ask me if I drink, I want to be able to say, no, you know, I don't. Um, and so that they don't, if they have an issue with it, um, use that as their excuse, you know, to kind of go drink. But anyway, but let's go for sticking strictly biblical. That's my own personal choice. 
Uh, that's my own personal conviction before the Lord. For me then to say no one can ever drink ever or it's sin is to not be biblical. Now I'm jumping into the realm of religion, um, which I understand why people say that because alcohol has quite a bad reputation and rightfully so. I mean, it's ruined a lot of families. I mean, you know what I mean? It itself. I mean, that people who have had issues with it, of course, I've counseled with them. I've seen destroyed families um, directly as a result of alcohol. My wife's family being one of those families, her dad um, literally died essentially of alcoholism at a very young age. Um, so I've seen this uh, firsthand uh, lots of different times, but I still won't say no one can do it ever or it's a sin because I will not stray from the word of God. I, I will not add to the word of God and, and work in a spirit of religion. I just will not do that. So all I can do is tell what the word actually says, which the word says, be, um, you know, do not be drunk with wine for that is dissipation. Again, back to this word dissipation. If you're wondering what that means, dissipation is to enter into a state where you are not fully in control of your faculties. So that's literally what dissipation means. It means like a split spirit. Um, it means to have your insides not fully under your conscious control. And basically the scripture is saying, don't do that. So in other words, if you're drunk with wine, you're reaching a point where you are dissipated in the sense that if you, if you cross a point with alcohol to a point where you're not really fully in charge, meaning this drug, which alcohol, of course, is a drug, is now gone to your mind in such a way that you're not, you're not fully in control to make moral choices. Um, it's, it's, it's dulling your ability to walk in a way that would be righteous and holy. Um, basically, that's what the scripture is saying. Like, don't do that. So, of course, yes, Jesus drank wine. Yes, Jesus did make wine for people who were already drunk. So for most believers, or at least some believers, um, having a glass of wine, having a beer, watching the game, not a sin, no problem. There's nothing wrong with that unless the Lord has spoken to you about it in a specific way as he has me. Um, and he has probably a number of others. But um, to scream from the pulpit that alcohol is a sin no matter what and, and you know, blah, 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 it's just not a biblical thing to do. And again, it gets you in the spirit of religion where... Um, Ugh, I never want to enter into the spirit of religion. But at the same time, we need to use wisdom here. And the wisdom call for me says don't ever drink. Again, other people, not a problem. Maybe they have a glass of wine. They have a glass of champagne, you know, celebrating something. Okay, fine. You can do that as a believer. But just remember, there's also other scriptures like 1 Corinthians 8 and 9 talking about, you know, some liberties we give up. Um, simply because we want our witness to be as strong as it can be. So God might call you to give up alcohol and give up that liberty and that freedom that you have specifically um, to love. And so that sometimes is a thing too. So that's what he means when he says, do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, meaning doing these things that essentially keep you from accessing all of your faculties. And he says, and they malign you, meaning some of your friends, some people who even claim Christ will actually make fun of you or not understand what you're doing. Because just so you know, when you really go after God and you really surrender everything, it like speaks to other people that you're arrogant or you're judging them. Like it's the weirdest thing. So I just want to warn you guys, like when you really go after the Lord, it's like it won't even be in your heart. Like, but you'll like, I totally have had this kind of thing happen. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm just totally going after it with God. And then, you know, your friend down the street goes, what are you trying to say? I'm not going after it with God. And they're like, no, no, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> like, I'm not saying you're not going after it. You're just like, I just want to be totally sold out. And you're like saying, and then your 
church, your friend down the street go, well, you're trying to say that I'm not totally sold out? It's like, no, no, that's not what I'm trying to say at all. So see what I mean is a lot of times when you just go after it with God, it is like instantly, um, I don't know if it's convicting is the word, but it bothers even other believers because they look at what you're doing and they malign you. Like they don't understand it. And usually what they do is they just assume you don't like them or they assume you judging them or they're assuming you think you're better than them. And of course, none of that is in your heart at all. Like all it is in your heart is just to love and to serve God. And you're so on fire and you're so in love. But sometimes that can actually make people feel like they're not loved um, and make people feel like, you know, that they, they don't. And so sometimes you'll get maligned for that. And I, I just want to warn you, just like it did in First Peter, sometimes that happens. Um, but then it says, verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So in other words, like, you know, you're not responsible for their reaction to you. Um, you're not responsible for their sin. They are, and they will be judged by the living God, both the living and the dead, just as everyone will be. Verse 6, for the gospel, and here's that weird verse, or one of the weird verses here. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So now you're kind of looking at this going, hmm. So <laughs> I, I read five different viewpoints of this. I, I'm, I'm not going to give you all five because I don't, I think th- three of them are, are just sort of weird. But I'll give you kind of the two that seem to like make the most sense or, or the way they're kind of viewed. So remember how he's talking about Jesus going down and preaching to the spirits that are kind of like in prison or whatever. And the whole idea, at least it seems that Jesus actually did go to like the place of the dead and essentially give those who had passed without hearing the gospel an opportunity to hear the gospel. I mean, it kind of seems like that, that his death actually reached backwards, even to the most wicked people to at least give them an opportunity. Like this is the love of God. So that is one of the views that they'll give an account to him. I'm sorry, verse six for the gospel for has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. So one of the views is that this is talking about people who are literally dead, like (laughs) the people that have already died, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. That's one of the views. The other view is that he's talking metaphorically, like preaching to people who are dead in the spirit. So if you read it that way, it's like the gospel for this uh, purpose has been preached even to those who are dead, like in the spirit, Um, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So you kind of see like the difference there. It's either they're preaching or could, I guess the third view would be, it could be both of them. He's talking about dead people who are literally physically dead or, and also uh, dead people who are spiritually dead and that they both received. I don't know what he means. Like, I guess it could be either one. I don't think it's a huge deal. I don't think we need to have church splits and elder meetings about it. I, I think that it's just kind of like, well, whatever, like the gospel's being preached to everyone, essentially. <laughs> Let's just look at it like that so that, um, you know, that they can be, um, that though they might be judged in the flesh, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So in other words, the gospel is essentially preached so that people can live in God's will. Like that's the whole idea. Um, now here comes a really weird verse and I'm just going to maybe kind of introduce this verse because holy cow, it's just, it's weird. So he says in verse, first Peter four, seven, the end of all things is near. So, and I looked that up in the Greek and there is no way, other way to translate that. Like the end of all things is near and there's really no 
I mean, that's that's how I would translate it, and that's definitely uh, legit. So when you see that, people kind of, again, I read 14 views. Maybe that, that's an exaggeration, but I did read, I, I think, three or four views maybe on on this, on what that could possibly mean. The end of all things is near, and it's kind of like, huh. So I'll give you guys uh, kind of the intro to this. The first one, I think, is the only one I ever heard growing up. And so I don't know if you ever heard people talk about this kind of thing, like, like not just Peter, but like other apostles will be like, the end is near or, you know, the judgment is right around the corner or, you know, everything is soon. It's going to be happening soon. Like in Revelation, tell them these things that that soon must take place. So I heard this. I shouldn't say um, one one way. I guess I heard it two ways. So the two ways I heard not just this scripture about the end of all things is near, which is first Peter four, seven or the other scriptures, which seem to really uh, talk about like the end is near it's it's soon you know jesus is coming back quickly you hear these terms like especially through revelation like quickly soon near um you know those kinds of words and so there's only the only two ways i've ever heard of that kind of being understood and i never heard the third way which i think is it needs to also be considered which i'll get to in a second but i want to give you the kind of two uh of the main ways that this has been understood and so the first way is that they're just wrong. Like I've actually heard a lot of preachers be like, yeah, you know, the apostles, they thought that, you know, Jesus was coming back in their lifetime and they were just wrong. They were just mistaken. And I'm like, well, I, I guess that could be like that. They all just kind of thought this way, this way. And, and in fact, they were wrong. But one of the things I there's a couple of reasons why I struggle with that. Uh, being an interpretation of this, like they were just mistaken or something. Like the first thing is they are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, were they under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing these books that we look to as the word of God and they were just wrong? Like they just like, oops, like I, I thought that was true, but it isn't. Um, I, I don't know that that is a great way to read the Bible. So, but, so that's the first problem I have with it. Um, that just simply that they were wrong. Um, and the, that, that just seems weird to me that the, under the inspiration of Holy spirit, they would somehow just get it wrong and that that was okay. So the, the reason I think the first reason I think that is weird again is because of what I just mentioned that they're under inspiration of the Holy spirit. It doesn't seem to me that they would get a whole lot of things wrong. So <laughs> especially something like that big, but the second reason is, you know, like these letters have been around, been circulating as sacred scripture for a long time, like almost since the very beginning, like we have evidence of around 100 AD of these scriptures that we call the New Testament being gathered up and presented as as holy scripture, as the books that we are sending throughout the all the new churches in the Roman Empire at that time. And so what I mean to say by that is that in 100 AD, if this is still the case, like you would think they would have changed it. Like you would think that these people like 50 years later would have gone, hey, these scriptures about everything, them being near, we probably should take these out because because <laughs> it didn't happen. You know, it would not do their case good to keep this in. So it seems to me that the early Christians like 100 AD and beyond that looked at these same scriptures that saw the end of all things is near written by Peter to the people in Asia, you know, in 65 AD or whatever, like right around that time that they would have been like, nah, let, let's take that out because it's not helping our case. But they didn't do that. They like left it in. It didn't seem to bother them. Like it. So what it tells me is that maybe the early Christians had a different understanding of what 
Peter and the other apostles meant when they were talking about it's right, it's near, it's now, it's coming soon, it's right around the corner, it's coming quickly, like that kind of phrase. And I don't think it was probably that they were like, yeah, they're they're just wrong, you know, so it's going to be more like 1,900 years later. So I, I don't know that that – I don't know that's a great way to read it, but that was one of the ways that it was read to me was – that uh and that was probably the main one that i ever heard growing up was yeah they're wrong like they thought jesus was coming back in their lifetime but they're totally wrong but he is in ours and we're right you know so that was kind of like the the thing i always heard was like they were wrong but two thousand years later we're actually the ones who get to see the return of christ and i'm like okay that just seemed a little strange to me so um, we're going to end with that because we're getting up on the time here that I don't really like to go too far over. Um, when we come back um, for the next episode, we'll, I'll talk about the other way that I've heard it uh, spoken, which I don't also like that much. But we'll talk about that. And then I'll talk about the third way, I think, to look at not just this passage about the end of all things is near, but kind of like every passage about the end of all things is near. And just kind of I'll give you kind of what I think, what I've been mulling over and sort of how it relates uh, to these end times that we're living in. Um, to this, I think, end of the hour, the end of the age, the things that we are really coming up on right now, and kind of how it relates to this now and what it would have meant to them at the time. So um, we'll, and then we'll talk about what you really should be doing, which is really the important part of the passage is not so much what the end of all things is near is necessarily referring to, although I do want to discuss it because I think it becomes a point of discussion. But really after that is becomes the most important things that we need to focus on. So um, anyway, I will talk to you guys soon. We'll dive into this next episode. Thank you for listening to Unleash Ministries podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged by an encounter with the Father's love poured out through his word. If you would desire to bless this ministry financially, please visit www.unleashedchurch.org and click on the Give link. Thank you.